So here we are on the 15th of December and we're preparing ourselves to go into a deeper meditation later in the session. But to begin with we're going to do a yoga practice called Pratyahara. Pratyahara which means withdrawal of the senses. And the aim of the practice is to reverse the flow of awareness away from the external flow, which is normally happening when the five senses are engaging with the physical environment. And instead we bring the attention back to the source of awareness. And a strange thing happens when you, when you hold, gently hold the awareness on the internal space, you start to lose the definition of uh, sensory input. It becomes less clear, more distant, uh, recedes into the background, so sounds and feelings, physical sensation tends to uh, break down to disintegrate and then you're just left hanging in a space of just of stillness quiet deep calm you'll still be aware of external things but not to the point where they are disturbing you so that's pratyahara it's the re it's the reversal or the retreat of the senses. So we can do this by using the breath. So we just observe the breath, the flow of the breath. As you continue to do this you feel the a sense of peace arise and so you allow the awareness to merge with the peace state of inner calm In a way you feel like you're in some kind of bubble.
and then just to illustrate how the senses have been de-emphasized or de-energized if you bring your awareness back to the body and very slowly begin to open the eyes notice how there's a sort of newness to the experience a strange newness it's as if you're viewing everything again for the first time like you've hit the reset button it's a discovery, a rediscovering of the external world because you've been removed from it for a short while do you get a sense of that? there's a, there's a strangeness to the re-emergence because you've been literally in retreat you know people go on retreats this idea of withdrawal from the world but really the ultimate retreat is that which you already have um, the purpose of the other retreats is to I think strengthen your access to that state with free of distraction but really the ultimate freedom from distraction is just simply the ability to redirect the awareness using will, using intention back into a central point or zone of stillness so another way to, to indicate Pratyahara there's a mudra actually called Shambhavi Mudra have you heard of this? Shambhavi Mudra it's slightly technical but you can try it the idea is that you're looking outwards but the gaze is, is looking in see if you can hook on to that idea so you're looking outwards but you're not really seeing it's as if you've, you're turning the actual flow of visual information back into an internal state perhaps something in to the inside the head or just inside somewhere in other words you're not really interested in what's out there the eyes are just open but they're not seeing you can see this in the pictures of saints the yogic saints that they're, they're there but they're not there they're looking but they're not looking are you getting a sense of that? can you do that? Pratyahara, you can do it my, I did it once with my daughter I looked in my eyes and she got scared because she goes, wow, you look like you're dead you know the dead, dead eyes that they're open but they're not it's that yeah. sort of idea there's no flow see, what happens is when 
senses engage with the external world there's actually an energetic flow outwards to connect to the object of perception so if we look at those flowers for instance if you really intently look at them you may actually feel that subtle flow of energy connecting can you feel that it's like you're hooking into them with our energy flow And this is the reason, and so it becomes exhausting to be always in the senses because when the energy is flowing outwards from you, then it's being lost, you, you're depleting. So, um, do you know, have you ever been to an art gallery, to an art exhibition, and you come out and you feel tired? Yeah, you feel exhausted. And all you've done is walked around and looked at things, but what's happening is, that you're actually engaging intently with all those different objects mm. and the energy is flowing to each one and it's leaving you and you're not doing it consciously, it's just happening and so um, Pratyahara is like the exercise that you do to strengthen the internal energetic state by practicing the withdrawal, the conscious withdrawal so if we looked at the flowers now, and this is, this is what we can try, again this is very subtle practice, but if you look at them, but you're not looking at them, see if you can stop that energy flow, the connection with them, and, and a lot of it revolves around thought, see if you're thinking and analyzing, going oh look at the petals and look at this and look at that, then the energy is moving to that part, but if you don't, if you stop the dialogue, and it's just like it's just a thing that you're not particularly interested in notice how the energetic investment in the object starts to diminish it's sort of a passive observation disinterested dispassionate and in fact you might feel that the energy is staying with you now You get the difference? Mm. Did you get that? Mm. So that's just something to remind us that when we're in the world and we're constantly running after things, it's like looking for the answer, looking for the truth, looking for happiness. Um, there's a story that our teacher used to tell about the musk deer. Do you remember that story? So there's a deer in India called the musk deer that they get the musk from. And the gland is actually tucked in its, under its abdomen. And um, one day a musk deer is walking around, running around, and it catches a whiff of this beautiful aroma. And so as it runs, it's trying to find this, the source of this beautiful smell. And it's running up the hill and down the hill and around and and it it's, keeps catching this scent but it just can't locate exactly where it's coming from and finally it falls onto the ground in sheer exhaustion and its head falls down and it's tucked under itself right next to the source of the smell and then it realizes that the thing that it was following was within it all the time so it didn't have to expend all of that energy to find the thing that it was seeking and so I think that's the key to these meditative techniques or practices is to train us 
to, to learn how to retract, retreat and withdraw from the engagement. Not Obviously not all the time, you have to still work and do stuff. But in those moments where you're able to just retrieve the awareness, bring it back into yourself, you feel a tremendous uh, reinvigoration because you're giving yourself effectively a little holiday, a little break from the continual loss of energy to the environment. That's the key. And that's why meditation feels so restorative because if you're sitting for 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, there is nothing to engage with in here. Not in the same captivating way that requires depletion of energy. So when you close the eyes, you return to the state. Then the system's own natural capacity to restore itself is activated. That's why, you know, when people are in hospital, most of, most of the healing occurs beside the operation and that, but the real repair work occurs when they're just lying in bed, resting. The repair, or when you sleep, the r repair is occurring. So the rest gives you the repair. But we're not doing that with our minds, so we understand that well with physical things. But the idea of this constant, and I know I go on a lot about this constant overstimulation. People are getting exhausted and they get stressed and they've got nowhere to go other than in the thoughts and in the stress and in the activity. And then they wonder why they feel something's lacking. So what, what do we do? We just sit there and... If you said to someone, there's a really easy solution to this. You just sit in a chair or sit cross-legged on the floor, close your eyes and go within. How many people are prepared to take that on? Why? Why are they, why are they resisting the, the simplest thing in the world is to do nothing? You do nothing. If you want to feel happy, do nothing. If you want absolute, like infinite joy, bliss, everything else, do nothing. Because isn't it counterintuitive to our whole conditioning? which is that we're, we're trained that if you want something, you have to go out there and get it. You have to expend effort. But what if, you know, from childhood we were taught, listen, there's nothing you really have to do in this life. Really, if you want to be happy, you can just be yourself. Just be. How well do you think that would go down with, um, you know, the economic forces? Isn't that whole, isn't our whole model predicated on an externalization of awareness. And yet the yogis say that that's the wrong, you're looking in the wrong place. You can still do it. It's not like they, they say, you know, you've got to shut yourself off from the world and disengage. I mean, yeah, if you want to really make rapid advancement in yoga, be a, go into a cave and, you know, probably three years, you're done. But it's not necessary for us. We can do it. We can sort of have our cake and eat it too, like we're going to... Have gonna, our cave and eat it. Uh, have our cave <laughs> and eat it too. I was going to say, like we're going to do tomorrow at the Christmas party, we can have our cake and eat it too. 
right? It's a balance. So this is the path. What we're living now is the path of the householder. There are two paths in yoga. There's the path of the renunciate, you know, the sadhu, the sannyasi, the monk. And then there's the path for the rest of 98% of the rest of us, which is living in the world, families, um, you know, jobs, commitments, mortgages, you know, bills. And if yoga was only there for the 2%, that really wouldn't be of much utility to humanity. The beauty of the, the gift of yoga is that it is applicable to everybody, every single human being. Why? Because the fundamental uh, reward already exists. And then they say, that, uh, well, what's the, point of hum what's the point of life? What's the purpose? We're going to talk about purpose. Is there, what's the purpose? Given what I've just said, that if you go outwards and you expend all your energy and you won't be happy, you go inwards and you do nothing and you find something. What do you think the point of all of this is? Because we're embodied, so we obey laws. But what's the challenge? What's the what's the um, what's the mission? Do you think you're in that in that way of viewing it? That if you're born and you're conditioned and you're educated and you're put into a mould and labelled, and yet the truth of the matter is that the, the the beauty and the peace and the happiness is already in you, what's the simple, not simple to do, but the simple to understand? What's the what's the uh, what's the process? Yeah, that's that's a way of saying it. What's a simpler way of saying? It? I mean, given what I just said, do you accept the proposition that the what we're looking for we already have? It's a purpose yeah. to find your truth. Exactly, it's just to find that. It's yeah. just to know that within with within the um, realm of the distraction that we're talking about and the stillness, as you beautifully express, is the goal. Because that's it's it's associated with the stillness that is the the truth is is there in that silence. So basically, isn't the enterprise all about that we're going to throw you into this mad world, and you have to figure out by trial and error or by luck or by good karma that all you have to do is go within and you'll find that it's thing. Like, it's like the maze going back to that center, mm. <laughs> and then you find your purpose. Yeah, isn't but isn't that that is the purpose? Is purpose is actually the journey? So but then to speak. the purpose from that is to is for the collective. Ah, well then, so once you've found it within yourself, yes, then you want to share that. Yes, it's like you become born again, like we're born again yogis, right? You're going around proselytizing, you know, buying gift vouchers for people, and <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not a bad thing. It's because we want to help. Yeah. We want to help. It, you want it, yeah. If you've tasted it, then mm. you so want people that you care about to experience that too. 
Yeah. You could see their suffering. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's very hard, I find, to help yeah. people. Absolutely. They just, if they're shut down for mm. care, Right. You, can, you just got to watch the process. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you can't interfere with it unless no. they want the support. You're interfering mm. there on their journey. Yeah. But then sometimes I call it the journey of zero distance. So we talk about this thing about a journey as if it's some linear thing. Mm, no. And really we got to, I mean, uh, uh, and it's easy to fall into that trap of seeing it that way because everything else in our life is structured as though it's a journey, education, mm. you know, whatever, jobs, rela- you know, promotional, um, you know, career pathway. Mm. All of those are structured, everything's structured as if there's a beginning and a middle and an end point. Mm. But what if the end point is actually at the beginning? It's, it's indistinguishable. Mm. But we still have to get to that realization and sometimes the apparent journey is going into the maze and wandering around and getting lost and redoubling back on where you came from and eventually one day like the must deer you fall down with exhaustion you've tried everything and nothing's really working and then uh, sometimes it's you have to as you said you've got to hit rock bottom you kind of have to give up because it's the ego remember ego is telling you it's not this. It can't be as simple. The ego would say, it can't be that easy. That you can just accept you, yourself per- totally as what you are now, with all your faults, and that too is perfect. Ego won't have that, that worldview. So ego is saying, you've got to be this, you've got to control that, you've got to have this. I'll do this first and then I'll do that. Yeah. That's a big one. So that's... So that's kind of what happened to us, is that we got dropped down here and the stalk dropped us behind the reeds or whatever. And we've got no, we've got no map, no compass, no user manual. We're dropped into a family that are probably equally as confused. Maybe not. If you're lucky, you get born into a family that's already got a fairly good idea about how things work. But, you know, you can be really unlucky too, you know, to continue the, you know, talking about luck as being in a very loose sense of the word. You end up in a situation where you are completely, you have no idea what to do. And so they tell you what to do. But who's telling you and what's their state and how reliable is it and are they happy? And if the answer to those questions is, you know, negative, 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 then you've got a fair bit of work to do until one day, either by grace or by karma, you suddenly might open a book or see a poster or talk to somebody or, you know, something will happen and in that moment there's an awakening. Some part of you recognizes the truth. That there, is, that if someone said, if you and you, you said it, um, Naomi, that they have to be ready. Mm. If the person is ready, you only have to say one word. Just say, "Have you considered meditation?" That's four words. <laughs> meditate. That's one word. Or um, not even meditate. Just be. You know, but do you see the the um, what we're up against? If we're trying to change society, we basically have to go out and negate the entire model. 
not that they can't continue to do those things, but what's the fundamental promise that we think is misleading in the external construct? What's the what's the lie? What's the if you're successful in the outer world, then you are a successful person within. That's you'll be so happy. you'll be okay. <laughs> That's right. So that's one version of it is we it could be success or it could be what's another way of framing the um, the deception. Come on, it's Christmas time coming up. There's a big clue. What do you get at Christmas? Well, there's that. That's true. I didn't think of that, but that's why not. You get presents. So there's material stuff as well. So that's another part of the I'm not going to call it a lie because that implies that you know it's a deliberate thing on the part of the perpetrators. Let's say it's the unconscious error in the the, the error in the thinking. Is it by having or by being a certain way other than you are now, or any of those things, then you'll be happy. And what we're trying to do, individually and collectively, is to call that out and say, well, just hang on a sec. What would happen if we just said everything's okay? Close your eyes, breathe, go into a state. How does that feel? And they go, well, that and they're surprised. Isn't that the amazing thing that when you teach people this, they're really surprised? The surprising thing is if, is if you've said that to somebody and they actually do it, that means that they've opened up. It's surprising that they did it, yeah. That's, that is surprising because very few people, I think, when I say very few, what, would you put a percentage on it? 10% of the world? I don't know what percentage of the world's population are already have awoken to some degree. Whatever it is, the number doesn't matter. So it may be a surprise in that they join that small cohort, but what I'm saying the surprise is that you can take anyone off the street, put them in a chair, Tell them to close their eyes and to breathe. Do what we just did a minute ago. And they come out. And I, I challenge you to find someone that wouldn't say that that felt good. Mm, I think they love it. You kind of give them permission to stop. Yeah. Yeah. You do that with them. Sure. You kind of feel like you want to take everyone in the world and put them in a chair and get them to sit down for a second and just take a break and just be and that and that and be okay with that. But you know, it's not so easy because the power this is where we come to the idea of the power of Maya, of the illusion, of the of the let's say the cosmic game of hide and seek, is that we've we get cast into this world and that truth is not known to us externally, it's not. The religion might try and put it in a certain way, but it's going to be conditional, isn't it, on adopting the belief system. But have you ever been into a, or aware of any religion that said, look, you don't have to believe any of this. Just sit down in the chair, close your eyes and know God. That doesn't work, does it? Because there'd be no power, there'd be no of those negative connotations. But that's so what we're doing is we're stripping away all of that 
um, construct, the overlay, and we're just going straight to the source. That's the difference, I think, between yoga, let's say, and organized religion, is that we're not putting anything in between the individual and the experience. In fact, well, I spend most of my time trying to remove as many things from between the individual well, and the experience. Has all those rules and yeah. Yeah, and I think it arose, these religions arose in a time where the world was maybe more chaotic control. than it is now. It was about control. Yeah, and so they had to give people something, a construct, and people were uneducated generally, the majority of the world's population, and very superstitious. And so if that's what you're working with, maybe it was appropriate at the time to at least keep them on the straight and narrow so that they avoid doing too many things that are going to damage themselves until they can get to the point where the religion's no longer necessary. That's what I think. But I think now, because of our education, our ability to criti critically analyze things, we can see through very quickly stuff that is not working. I mean, look at all the wars that have been caused by religion. And people are now a little bit more skeptical. So luckily we have the advantage that we don't require a belief system. We just have to give some experience and then, um, so the purpose is really just that. So if, some, if, if, if I said to you that all you have to do now for the rest of your life is just the constant remembrance of that, of the state. You can do all the other things, but you don't really need to do those. That's just filling in time, but this is the real work. This is all you really need to do, is to hold, know the state and hold the state. Doesn't that take a lot of pressure off you? It's tricky, it's, it's elusive, it's slippery. The mind is very strong. I know, but if we're just stripping away everything and we're saying that's all you have to do. Doesn't that sort of at least give you something uh, accessible that you can just do and you know that it's going to feel good and everything else is optional I'm just trying to simplify it but isn't that fundamentally it it's just this mm. going back to your true nature but that's all, that's it now then, then you'd say, well, the, as you say, the mind is constantly going to be taking you away from that. So it can't be that easy, right? Well, there's, for a new person, there'd be the finding out how to recognize what is that that you're talking about. Do you think that that's hard for them to recognize? Possibly, because of the busy mind. But once you get them past the mind, which generally happens in the first 15 minutes, we can do it now. Let's try it. Make your mind really busy. Okay. And then you go, okay, stop. Close your eyes. Breathe. I mean, you're better at doing this than the average person. Let's assume that you've got some competency. But, you, but what we're doing is not hard. Breathe. Allow the attention to flow with the breath. 
You can use a mantra if you want. Is he finding the stillness? Is it there? It was there. Where it was just waiting for you to come back. And then you come out again. But you keep the stillness. You don't want to come out here. <laughs> in a minute we'll go in and we can stay in for longer. But. So I guess what are we talking about here? This idea of purpose really is where we started is w w what do you have to do to be happy? Nothing. And the answer is not very much. So the rest is optional. So then how do you decide of all the options that you can do? What, what do you have to have, do, do you want to have some guidelines on how you choose from the menu of distractions? What criteria do you use? Does it make you feel comfortable? What resonates with your heart? What else? What do you choose to occupy yourself with when you have to be in the world? I'm family at the moment. So that's yeah. a commitment, but I'm mm. saying choice. Oh, you. yoga and running and mm -hmm. meditation is a big part of my life. Right. So why do you Surfing. choose those things? Yoga, mindfulness, running, mindfulness. I go towards things that can um, keep me mindful. Surfing? Surfing, mindfulness. So isn't it all just taking us back to the... Yeah. So this is what I think happens is that the more that you refine the instrument by the immersion into the state, the more you will naturally tend away from things that are going to take you away from the source. Mm. Like, I can't listen to rock and roll music like I used to. Occasionally we have our moments, but by and large, it's like death metal, you know, left a long time ago. You can't do, the, you can't eat the kind of foods that you used to eat. So discrimination in a good way. Yeah, but you're following your heart. I mean, the, the key is that you start to exercise discrimination around things that you know, and you could call that wisdom as well. Being gentle. Yeah, exactly. It's all of that thing because... And this, this comes now beautifully, neatly takes us to a, um, a piece of advice that Patanjali, the great yogi, gave his students about the four, hum four types of human interaction that there are in society. Um, the four types of people that you are likely to encounter and what your attitude should be with respect to each of them. And so... One of the students said, Master, what, how should we be in the world? You know, thanks for all the meditation instruction. I think I've got that all pretty much down. But I've got tomorrow, I've got to go back, you know, to the world. What is your advice? Because I'm going to have to deal with people. And they're not all nice. And I don't want to lose this state, this peace that I have. 
And he said, well, there are basically four types of people. There are those who are I won't say bad, but you know, negative. Not nice people. If you encounter them, your attitude should be indifference. So you basically don't buy in to their chaos. Be indifferent. If you have to interact with them, you can interact with them, but don't take it, just be, in, be at arm's length. Those who are fortunate, more fortunate than you, feel glad for their good fortune. Because the normal tendency would be maybe a bit of jealousy or something. Which is what a lot of people are, how come that person got that? He said, no, don't do that. Just feel happy for their happiness. And then the third group of people are the people who are virtuous people. And um, the tendency there might be that you might feel inferior to them. You know, they're more better at yoga than me or whatever. So you're comparing yourself. He says, no, the best attitude is to admire their achievement. Admire. Have that, hold that sense of um, appreciation of their attainments. And the fourth group of people, he said, are the people that, who are in the, in the world who are suffering. And you see a lot of that around. And he said the best attitude to have for them is compassion. Help when you can, but if you can't, feel compassion. And now when you, un when you deconstruct that, it's a great bit of advice because basically what it's doing is it's ensuring that the yogi, the practitioner, is able to maintain their own peace their own state while being in the world because you have an attitudinal strategy for the kind of people you're going to encounter. And if you didn't have that, then the tendency would be for those who are evil or not good, you would tend to condemn them. So suddenly now you're carrying condemnation in your heart. If you're carrying condemnation, then you're not in your peace. You're seeing separation. Instead, he said the best you can do with them is just be detached, indifferent. No judgment. No judgment. Let karma take care, basically. Of, if they're going to do bad stuff, certainly, you know, they'll be sanctioned. But you don't have to take on the emotional, like the angst of that. You just be impartial. For those who are uh, fortunate, being happy is good because, in fact, if you're happy for their happiness, then you actually have some of the happiness. So that's pretty uplifting, isn't it? Rather than being envious, wouldn't you rather be happy? I'm really happy that you, you know, got that job or made, made me that cake. <laughs> no, that, that's actually self-interest. Got that job or, um, you know, I real, I'm really happy about your new hairstyle. If you like it, do you like it? Yeah, oh, I'm really happy. Don't like it? Um, I'm compassionate, see, because you go to the fourth category. And then for the ones that are um, virtuous, then you carry that sense of admiration, and that what that's meant to do is that's meant to inspire you. See, you look at those people, 
that are really up there, top of their field, and you feel admiration. Wow. And don't you get a little uplift when you feel that admiration? You get a little lift. And so what Patanjali is really telling his students here is that when you leave the ashram and you go back into the world, the way that you conduct yourself is really important because it governs your inner experience. And so this goes back to the householder path, is that we have to engage, we have to do Christmas, we've got to have jobs, we've got to do all this stuff, but it's the way that you perceive it and the, your attitude in relation to it that governs the extent to which um, you'll be free of it or whether it will weigh you down. So it all comes back to attitude. Walk lightly in this world. Hmm? Walk lightly. What do they say? My, my dreams are like clouds. Tread lightly. No, I can't remember. Who was it that said it? I'll come. I'll get it next time. Tread lightly. Tread lightly on my dreams. Okay, so there you go. That's a little Christmas. So, do we have something to say about Christmas? Tread lightly. <laughs> True. I mean, you're about to enter the fray now, if mm. you're around family. Yeah, beware. Beware. Don't judge. What's mm. the trap? Drinking. <laughs> that may have, that could be the solution as well. Mm -hmm. So what's the danger zone that we're walking into with Christmas? Just so that we can be fore forewarned. Too high expectations. Wanting it to be a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Reacting. Yeah. Reacting yeah. to other people's behaviour. So then just remember what I just said about... If suffering. If they're suffering, yeah. If they're badly behaved, they're suffering. Mm -mm. If they're suffering, you should feel compassion. Mm. So give them another drink. Just, <laughs> just you know. Small <laughs> food. you got to be very... See, it takes a lot of skill, actually. Christmas is a challenge because not everyone has the skill set. And also, you can be... This is this thing about stepping back. This thing about you can be even afraid all of a sudden and not realise that, that what's happening. And if you've got that ability to then to step back mm. from it. That's it. So if you find that you got drawn into it, step step back. Don't get too entangled. And I think the other thing is be happy. Mm. Be in your own happiness is a good place to it be. Always yeah. Mm. Try and raise your own vibration. That is a practice in itself. It is. To flip back into the happiness. How quick can you do that? There's a CD that my daughter had and it's got that racial vibration. It's actually a song. Yeah. It's really cool compilation. And I played in the car a lot because I'm on my own. And it's racial vibration, racial vibration. It's actually fantastic because afterwards I feel terrific. I keep putting it on rotate. So could, we, could you flip into your happiness right now? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So just close your eyes. And this is a great practice actually, to just practice the flip. It's sort of like a back flip. 
happiness. You're flipping back into your happiness. So you just close your eyes and do the flip. And then what you can do once you find it is you intensify it with will. So you go, um, just intensify. Can you do that? You sort of amplify it. This can get very intoxicating. So it should come with a health warning. This practice can be intoxicating. Do not operate heavy machinery or drive a vehicle. Okay, have you amplified your happiness? Now step it up another notch. You can smile. It's really good to smile when you do this. I'm sure you release endorphins too when you do this. Okay, now come out. So this proves that happiness is intrinsic. Is everyone happy? Mm -hmm. You were assuming that everyone wasn't happy before that, though. Well, no, I know. <laughs> Which is quite an assumption. No, 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 no. I knew that you were. <laughs> But I'm saying, can you do the flip? So uh, maybe I should set it a bit, set the bar a bit higher. Imagine that you're in a, a room full of crowded people that are giving you a hard time, and now flip into the happiness. Right, that's the key. This is the, sure you can get into your happiness if you're sitting there, but let's say that you're in a tense situation. Can you return then? And this was what you were saying, Kalyani, about it's easy until the mind gets involved. But the, 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 the real skill and the, the, the strengthening practices that you need to develop are just the capacity to flip back into the state, into the happiness, at will, anytime, even in the middle of an argument. So that's, can you do that? If you can do that, that's great. That's, that's what you should be able to do. Flip back in. It's, in other words, the happiness should never be that far away from you. Well, don't get drawn into. Yeah. Don't get that drawn into all that people's drama. Yeah. Oh. The only, the only tricky bit is that some people that are suffering don't like to see that you're happy. No, no they don't. I avoid them. So that's good. Yeah. So that Patanjali should have put the fifth category in. That's for the ones that are completely a lost cause. Avoid. You just don't associate with them. I suppose detachment. Could mean physical detachment. Send them compassion. Mm. Yeah, you send them love, yeah, yeah. but you don't have to be with them in their mm. space. Yeah. And this is all about protecting that which you're... See, this is a thing that we're nurturing here. We're cultivating this inner state. And you've got to... For the, for the first time period, it's, um, it's a little bit vulnerable. Because you'll go and you'll have a nice meditation and come out and then someone, someone will just bring you straight down. But over time, it gets strong and then you become resilient. Mm. It's like a muscle. That's yeah. right. So that's how you exercise the muscle is just the con what I said before. It's the constant return to the state. Mm. Practice that, the return, the return, the return. The muscle stronger. You become a great person to be around because now you're not going to fall and you're emanating positivity and love and a good influence. And that, I think, is, would be our other purpose. After we've found it for ourselves, then we've got to go out there and give it all away.
keep giving it away. And that I think that should be the gift of Christmas. If you can be amongst people, forgetting about the presents, it's about the relationships, it's about who you're with, and what kind of influence can you be as a positive force to in their lives. And then it then just then have fun. You know? What is who's who says don't take it all too seriously? It doesn't ex mean anything at the end of the day, man. It's not real. That's right. I mean it's real but it's it's only one part of reality. Mm -hmm. There's a better there's a more complete reality which is more fun to be with. And then you just let the rest will just play out. Is, tell me, is there anything so important that it should destroy your happiness? No, because your outer life starts to manifest as a reflection of what's happening inside. That's true. So in a sense, what we're saying is that we are responsible for our own happiness. Nothing or no one else is. That's, that's the prize, is that understanding. And then when you cultivate it, and you radiate it, and you become it, what a great gift you are then to the world. So that would be, that's sort of a part of your purpose. Okay. Looks like we're all in violent agreement. Mm -hmm. I always find that expression quite bizarre. <laughs> good, that's a good time to stop. So we'll meditate now. We'll go for 25 minutes because we've got the time and it's um, pretty quiet outside. So why don't we take advantage of the opportunity? And what I will do is um, give you a guidance, a guide in. Let's start by um, setting an intention. So as you sit comfortably upright, eyes are closed. Just form the intention for a very deep, restorative meditation. Feel the intention as, as an energy. And then you release it into the void. And you're going to follow it back to the source using breath, using mantra. And I'll speak again in about 25 minutes. <laughs> 